Welcome to the Building Wealth Through Commercial Real Estate Podcast, where we will discuss with industry experts on how to create wealth and build passive income from apartment buildings, self-storage, mobile home parks, and much more. Here is your host, Jonathan Way. Welcome to the Building Wealth Through Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Way, and I'm the founder of Grayson Capital Group, my investment firm. If you're interested in passively investing with us, please visit graystonecapgroup.com and join our investor network. Okay, and now on to the show. Hello, um, Travis. Thank you for coming on the show. Hey, Jonathan. So glad to be here. Great. Thank you. We have um, Travis Walt as an investor, passive income advocate, public speaker, and the director of investor relations at Ascroft Capital. He's dedicated his time to educate investors who are looking to be hands-off when it comes to real estate investing. So yeah, I love the fact that you know you are an advocate for passive investing and so tell us, what's what's it like to be like, you know, your when you speak to people about passive investing and their lifestyle? Yeah, it's a great question. It's been quite a journey, I'll tell you that. So I I got into real estate in 2009, and a lot of people think, oh, what great market timing. Well, it really wasn't. Uh, the market I was in was still falling rapidly, and it really didn't start a recovery till almost 2012. So I guess better timing would have been 2011. But uh, <laughs> uh, I did know a couple things, though, uh, getting started, even though I didn't really have mentors and programs and things like that. I knew that the I knew that the market had fallen about you know 30 40 percent where I was buying and I knew that I could get a roommate and I knew that that roommate would almost pay for the entire mortgage you know on that house so that kind of got the wheels turning and passive income came into play in two different ways one was when I wasn't making much money per year and I was getting mm -hmm. a check handed to me for 600 bucks a month that I didn't have to work for I thought wow how do I scale that up and do that, you know, times a hundred or something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. the second thing was, as I did, I did a few fix and flips and I realized the, the pain points of that and how time consuming that can be and how I didn't know what I didn't know. And I got into vacation rentals and all of a sudden that became a lot about passive income and it taught me a ton, but inevitably I was too active, right? I got in just too deep with it. I, I had a full-time W-2 job. I worked almost 98 hours per week and I'm wow. trying to scale up single family homes homes on the side. <laughs> so you can imagine that's a recipe yeah. for disaster. And it was. So I did that for six and a half years. And then I discovered passive investing. And I really started to hone in on passive income on a monthly basis. And I really started figuring out what assets can produce that and how to diversify that way. And it was a couple mentors of mine that had been in that space for 20 plus years as full-time LP, limited partner investors. And I just completely shifted gears. It took about two years uh, from 2015 to 2017, and I was selling off my single family homes and I was just reworking the model. And so that's what I do today. A lot of it's multifamily uh, with, you know, Joe Fairless, Ashcroft Capital, but a lot of other groups too. And I'm in self-storage, mobile home parks, ATM machines, note lending, publicly traded REITs. There's a lot of things you can invest in out there that produce passive income. So my passion is not only sharing what's working for me to help others, but to show people that you really can design a lifestyle off of passive income. That doesn't mean you have to retire early or do this fire movement stuff or any anything like that. But even having an additional couple thousand dollars a month come into your bank account without you having to work harder or pull some overtime or rely on a bonus or something like that can be a game changer. That right there could yeah. be a vacation for the family. You know, it mm -hmm. could be upgrading a a vehicle without having to, again, work harder or something like that. So uh, I just teach people kind of how to do it 
on their terms, not a financial advisor, just sharing how that can work. Things like the, uh, I call it the 8% rule of some I designed for myself back when, and it's how to live on essentially 8% as an average uh, passive income yield per year. And so if you're just getting started, you got 10 grand and that's it. Well, it may not be too uh, exciting <laughs> to go put your money to work today, you know, at, at six, seven, 8%, whatever you're getting. But once you get to uh, 1.25 million and you can average 8% on that portfolio, that's $100,000 per year. And so that begins to become a game changer for a lot of people. They can move mm -hmm. to part-time work. They might be able to retire earlier than they thought. Uh, you know, it can't hurt. Let's just put it that way to have mm -hmm. a little extra passive income in your life. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so yes, that's the story yes. in a nutshell. Yes, I totally agree, Travis, because what happens is, you know, everyone, I think everyone should have some passive investing on the side as they're doing an active job, whether they love the job and what they do, they should have some passive income so they can build that up. And at some point when you're ready to retire, you can rely more on your passive income than your active income. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's what I've generated for myself. But again, not everybody needs to take the path that I've taken or be as aggressive as, as I was with it. But uh, a lot of people, myself included, have been brought up with this idea that investing means the stock market and investing means buy low and sell high, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. the problem with buy low, sell high and the problem with saving money and the problem with a lot of these, these strategies is it's not changing your lifestyle year to year. If you've got 401ks and IRAs and stuff like that, and you've been taught max them out, put all your money there, and one day you'll be 65 and you should be good. Well, the problem is you got to wait till 65 to potentially be good. <laughs> you know. Yeah, so yeah. I started thinking, well, how do I you know, start benefiting off something today? What if I want to retire at age 50? That's going to be awfully hard if I've got a couple million dollars in an IRA and I can't touch it or I'm heavily mm -hmm. penalized. I'm paying, you know, 50% in tax and penalties. So that's just kind of what I reverse engineered uh, for myself. Yeah. Again, not telling anyone else what to do, but it's a different approach to thinking about investing. When I go into a publicly traded REIT, we'll use that as an example. I don't do a lot of that, but when I do, I don't care about the price. I don't care about the price. If I buy it at $10 a share and it goes to eight, I don't care. What I care about is that they continue distributing the cash flow. Okay. And the cash flow is what I'm using to live on. And REITs are obligated to send like 90% of their earnings to their shareholders. So at least I know there's a high probability of getting paid on a monthly mm -hmm. basis in most mm -hmm. cases. So that's just how I look at it. You know, okay, so great. I always think about recessions and, you know, at least you would have some passive income potentially throughout a, a down period and not have to just be looking at your account being halved and then wondering how long is it going to take to get back to where I was and getting no lifestyle change in the uh, intermediate term. Right, right, exactly. And Travis, how do you view a REIT versus syndication, the difference between a REIT and a syndication? Yeah, so REITs can be private or public, but most people think about REITs in the public stock market, you know? So usually they're they're like a fund kind of structure where they've got a lot of different properties in there, okay? And people can buy and sell at any time. Problem is they're highly correlated to the overall broader stock market. So when you have a year like 2022 and the markets are down, meaning the S&P, the NASDAQ, the Dow, Jones, the Russell 2000, 20, 30 percent, there's a good chance that the REIT you're in is going to be down too. 
(laughs) It may not be, you know, a one-to-one correlation, meaning that they fell the same, but some REITs were were beat up 50, 60% last year. So Mm -hmm. uh, volatility is a big conversation. It's a big risk point. It's something to think about that you have far less, statistically speaking, volatility in the private world. It's much more like owning a single family home and renting it out, right? It's not mm-hmm. going to go up 20% tomorrow and fall 30% the next day. You're just not going to have that that type of volatility. They also, mm-hmm. they live by different rules. You know, like I mentioned before, I, I think, and I may be misquoting this, but it's something like a REIT has to distribute 90% plus of its earnings to its shareholders. That mm-hmm. would not be the case in private investments, you know, so different structurally. Mm-hmm. Um, a big disadvantage to me though, even though I do do some of that investing, is you don't often get the same tax benefits that you can get from private real estate, where the depreciation and the the 100% or 80% bonus depreciation can flow through to you, the investor, whereas mm-hmm. in most REITs, you're getting an ordinary dividend, which is just tagged on to your federal tax bracket and state tax bracket and oh, things right. like that. So a couple of different things, you know, there, there's LLCs, there's limited partnerships, there's REITs. I mean, there's a lot of ways that you can invest mm-hmm. uh, in, in trust and, you know, the list goes on and on. So anyway, that's okay, the good. Yeah. So in the syndication world, normally it's private and you get the cost segregation benefit of bonus appreciation. Like last year, hundred percent bonus appreciation. If you invest yeah. in one of your, your deals in Ashcroft, like you have like multifamily in your fund. Yeah. And I guess how would you, you do one K one, one consolidated K one, is that correct in the fund structure? Yeah, it depends on the operator, but in terms of Ashcroft, they do a, a composite consolidated K-1, meaning if we have eight different properties that we purchased in the fund, you're just getting one federal K-1. And uh, several of the states that we invest in are tax-free, like Texas and Florida, so you don't have to worry about any applicable state tax in those areas. So it, it gets very streamlined and simple uh, compared to maybe doing one deal at a time. Like I used to do one deal at a time exclusively in the early mm-hmm. years of of being a limited partner. And in any given year, I could have seven, eight, nine new K-1s and they just keep yeah. adding yeah. up and adding up. And all of a sudden your CPA is throwing in the towel like, hey man, I'm going to have to triple your cost here because this is a lot of work. So um, it makes it nice and efficient for people. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about how you did it from the early days being a single asset versus fund. What's the, I guess, the key differences and why would a passive investor invest in a fund versus a single asset? Yeah, that's a good question. So it's funny if if you had listened to maybe a podcast of mine years ago, 20, you know, I don't know, 16, 17 or something like that. I, I didn't do a lot of it, but I would have said I only do single asset deals because I can do proper due diligence on them. I can go visit them. I know exactly what I'm investing in 100%, that kind of stuff. And I may not like every deal that somebody puts into a fund or every market or what, what have you. What I found out about that mindset and in my own experience was it's a lot like picking stocks. I maybe thought I knew a little better than I did or, you know, things happen. Tornadoes happen. Flooding happens. Kitchen fires happen. So not every deal that I picked, even though it may have been a good deal and a good market at a good price, actually ended up performing well. And so that's one thing is you're lacking the diversification that you would get in a fund where maybe they have six or eight deals. And if one of them gets a flood or a hurricane or a fire or something, you have seven other others to back you up and to keep the stabilization of the cash flow a little more predictable and consistent. Never a guarantee things happen in, in you know lots of different ways, but that's one thing to think about. But funds aren't for everybody. 
First of all, if you're a new operator and starting to raise capital, you may not want to do a fund because, you know, we raise a hundred plus million dollars per year in a fund. That's that's heavy and that's hard to do if you're new and getting started. So it may be better to do one deal at a time. Usually groups that move into fund models already have a track record and experience and a pool of investors that have invested with them a long time. And for us, it's like greater than 50% of our investors are returning investors. So half that money is just kind of coming in on autopilot from people uh, reallocating into our deals. Uh, let's talk about cons, just to be fair. You know, you have to put a lot of trust into the operator. If they're launching a fund in January and they're telling you we're going to do six or eight deals and blah, 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 these are going to be the debt terms. These are going to be the markets. You have to trust that they can actually do it. Are they, yes. they going to buy good deals in good markets at good points and put proper financing it's a risk. So if you're getting in early, you got to know about that. You know, if you're getting into the tail end, you can do better due diligence, you know, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So when I'm fund investing, I'm looking a lot on track record and experience and communication. And I'm usually partnering with groups I've already invested with, historically speaking. And if I'm going to do a single asset, it's usually a one-off kind of diversification thing. Maybe it's a market I've wanted to get into, but I just haven't yet with somebody I haven't worked with. So I'm going to give them a chance, you know, to, to, uh, to perform. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, th that's, that's really it. Diversification K ones are a factor and um, trust in the operator are some of the biggest things, but uh, for somebody who lives on passive income, like myself, I look for the more stable, predictable outcomes. And I find mm -hmm. that with a fund, that's usually more of the case compared to handpicking stocks or mm -hmm. individual deals. Now, I'm sure one of your investors asked you when thinking about Ashcroft fund and versus single asset, let's say that you convert from single asset, which I think was a couple of years ago, you guys went from single asset to a fund. And yeah, it was like three years ago, I think, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Someone just said, hey, Joe, you know, hey guys, Travis, I, I like your single asset. So why did you do the fund and, you know, what, yeah. what question? What, what question did it? What not common question they asked you about that? When yeah, they, when you had that. Yeah, it's certainly been a question. Obviously, the the first year that we decided we're going to do a fund was was a lot of questions because <laughs> uh, we had never done that before. Um, so again, pros and cons. So what was happening when we at the tail end of us doing single deals is we would we were subscribing them very quickly. Let's call it on average, I don't know, forty eight hours. So it'd be on a Wednesday. Hey, we have a new deal. Get in now. And then by Friday. Sorry, you missed out. We don't have any deals right now. You'll have to wait. And so a lot of investors got upset over that because they were at work and they were on vacation or it came on a weekend and they don't do emails on weekends. So a lot of people were missing out on our opportunities, which hurt. Mm -hmm. And we could never give a definitive answer to when's the next opportunity. I, I don't know. Like, you know, we can't say until we get it under contract and do our due diligence and stuff like that. So it was the stop and go constantly. And we had to get a whole new set of docs built out for every single deal. And, you know, that, you know, firsthand how expensive that can be. And so now we have one set of docs, uh, subscription docs, operating agreement, you know, et cetera, for a fund instead of doing eight of them per year on eight different properties. So mm -hmm. um, it gives investors the opportunity to to know that there's some place to put their money throughout the year. Again, not mm -hmm. a promise or guarantee. It's first come, first serve. So I can't tell you when this current fund's going to end, but the probability is it's going to be the majority of this year. So investors have liquidity events all the time, whether they're exiting the stock market or they sell a property or they inherit something. 
um, it's nice for them to know, oh, I know a deal I can put this into right now and then start getting monthly distributions thereafter instead of them calling us and saying, do you have an opportunity? And us saying no, and them going to a competitor and doing their deal, you know? And that was yeah, their one liquidity yeah. event for the five-year time frame or something like that. Yes. Yeah, but let me ask you, let's say you saw a new fund, what you probably did in 2023, Ashcroft 2 or something. And now you have, you never know, you'll have no multifamily. So how would an investor put the money? Would they put the money first or do you do a capital call when you need it? That's a good question. So we closed the first property in fund number three, which is the one that's open right now at the tail end of 2022 to try to reap the benefits of the 100% bonus depreciation and anybody who wanted to take advantage of that because we always have investors at the end of the year that you know have kind of procrastinated a bit and now all of a sudden it's like what do i do with this cash because i i need to save some money on taxes so that was a great opportunity for people in those situations and yeah. now we're going to finish this fund in 2023 with 80% bonus depreciation and and do the next, you know, 6 7 8 properties whatever we end up getting. To answer your question, we always launch our funds first come first serve. The first fund was launched like at the end of January 2021 and ended I think December 13th, so it really was the majority of the year. Fund number 2 closed early cuz we got an influx of capital throughout the fall. So we closed it I believe it was September October time frame. Okay. And yeah. so instead of just saying we do funds every January and then waiting for four months and not doing anything, we launched fund number three early, you know? Oh, early. So, okay. Yeah. So investors, as soon as the announcement comes out that the fund is officially open, the docs are ready to be signed, they can start investing. Now, you have to wait until we close the first property in order to get cash flow distributions, right? Obviously, we can't pay cash flow when we don't own anything. So uh, investors who got in and say December of 2022 start getting distributions in February. And for anybody getting in in January, they'll start getting distributions in March. And so it's always kind of in arrears a little bit, right? So that's how we work it. And uh, we don't do the capital call structure where you commit 50K and we say, we'll let you know when we need it. Um, any money rolling in today is going to purchase the next property, right? And we're, we can't okay. purchase the next property till we have the money. So it's it's kind of oh. that, uh, uh, oh. that balance that we play all year long. Okay, so in, in Oshcroft, you get the money first from the investor who signs the, the PPM and the, the operating agreements and you yeah. wire the money. Yet. Even though you have, you may not have a, an a apartment building. <laughs> you, right, yeah. exactly. Yep, so the incentive was sometimes they'll give like an early uh, uh, bonus, like maybe 2% or something like that, you know, for while your money is, is held and waiting to purchase a property. So at least you're getting something, not 0%. And then you'll get the bonus depreciation, which was a benefit. And then you're the first to start receiving distributions. And that's the other benefit. So that entices a lot of investors. And some people want to sit on the sidelines until we have a deal that's already been purchased so that they they start knowing, okay, you, you really did it. You do what you're, you, you said you were going to do. And then I get distributions now on a monthly basis. So that'll entice a whole new tranche of capital. And then once we get two or three properties, more investors, 
investors get enticed because we're we're now underway. The fund's going to be closing at some point. You have diversification already built in. Distributions are happening. You can look at the performance and the monthly updates that we've already been sending. So that gives people more certainty. And of course, you'll always have the people that wait to the last minute right before we close, and they have their reasons for doing that. And that'll bring in the last tranche of investment. So mm-hmm. um, different different strokes for different folks, right? <laughs> yeah. And another interesting question is your the way you structure it is not the normal. You have different structures. I think you have class A and class B, right? You have different tranches. Can you explain that? How how that works? Yeah, we started doing that just before we went to a fund model. So I want to say that was you know 2020 or something like that. And as cash flow has been compressed over the years, you know, back mm-hmm. to 2015 when I started doing this stuff, it wasn't uncommon for a, any given deal to pay you eight, nine, ten percent annualized cash flow out of the gate, right? And today mm-hmm. that's extremely strong if yes. you're talking about value add class B multifamily. So what we did is we we brought this structure where we allocate 20% of the total capital raise. So we'll use some simple math and say we raise $100 million. So $20 million is class A shares and 80 is class B. So class A, what it is essentially, it's still an equity position. You're not debt, you're not lending, okay? You are equity, you're still getting a K-1 with tax benefits and all this good stuff. But it's essentially just a cash flow play. So if you're looking for 9% annualized preferred return or what we call a coupon, then that's your class A, but you're not participating in the equity upside. So if we buy a property at 80 million and sell it for a hundred, you're not participating in that gain of any type. It's just basically 9% a year. So we've got people on fixed income, retirees, fund of funds, family office. Sometimes they they have a, a portfolio that's heavily concentrated, let's say, in new development or something that doesn't produce any cash flow. So they want to allocate some of their funds to something that does produce solid cash flow and then have kind of a hybrid mix, right? So it attracts different people to that. We always subscribe it early because it's only 20 million of the the total 100 that we're raising. And then the class B is what you commonly will see in a syndication or private placement where you have a lower cash flow yield while you hold, but then a potential for an overall higher return at the end because you do participate in any refinances and any sales and anything like that. And so that that gets into the IRR, the internal rate of return, which could be a double digit return, which is higher than nine. So it, it all depends on your strategy. We have, um, obviously, most of our investors are class B. But for somebody who has maybe a self-directed IRA, that could be the one that they choose because they say, hey, look, I got a 20-year horizon here before I'm going to be touching this money. I don't need the monthly distributions at 9%. I'm not going to do anything with them. They're just going to go into my account. So they might do a class B in that example. Um, so mm-hmm. again, different strokes, different folks. <laughs> now, how, and how did you feel it worked for Ash Group? Was it really beneficial versus the other basic one, one, one class B and that was it in your syndication? I was at first surprised at the amount of interest in the class A because I thought, why would somebody take a, a lesser return knowing that historically Ashcroft's delivered an over 20% IRR? So who's going to be signing up for nine? <laughs> you know. And yeah. funny enough, I was one of those investors when we first launched it and I got into one of our deals in the A shares because, again, I live on, on monthly passive income. So I, I was thinking about that. Well, when it came time to sell that deal, 
deal, they ended up sending the B shares like 22% IRR. And then I was left with my my nine or 10 or whatever it was at that time. So uh, not saying again, that's always going to be the case or what have you, but you have to look at your goals and objectives. And mm-hmm. that's the thing you, you really got to think about before you make any investment in anything is what am I trying to achieve? What are my goals and objectives? So Susie over here wants 10,000 a month passive income so she can retire early. John over here wants a net worth of $5 million and doesn't need any cash flow because he's a doctor and he makes 500K a year. Well, those are vastly different goals, right? So Sally might be in the A shares and John might be in the B shares or John may not even do this. He may be in, I don't know, day trading stocks or doing new development real estate or something that doesn't even uh, cash flow. So you got to okay. look at that first before you start jumping into criteria. Okay. And and um, I know you do monthly distribution. Now, let me talk about this. Monthly versus quarterly. Now, why yeah. do you think, why do you guys do monthly versus quarterly distribution? It's just one more incentive for investors that I think appeals to a lot of people. I'm one of them. Uh, It's not to say that I never do deals that are quarterly. That wouldn't be true. I do. But mostly, if you look at my personal portfolio, I'd say 80 to 85% of my investments are monthly distributions. And again, because I'm living on the income, it's just like if you were an employee, do you want a paycheck once a month or once a quarter? You choose, right? (laughs) I mean, most people would probably say monthly. So uh, if you have the capacity to pull it off, you have the staff and and the capability, it can be a perk for people. And if you don't, because you're a new operator and that's a lot of stress, and it's it's a headache, then you know maybe do do quarterly. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I like that that distribution frequency because it's not only the distribution frequency; it's that a company that's going to send you a monthly distribution is probably going to send you a monthly update. And I like to have a little closer pulse on my investments instead of once every three or four months getting an email about how something's doing or. Hey, by the way, a month and a half ago, we had a flood on the property. We just we didn't tell you about it because uh, <laughs> we do quarterly updates, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, personal preference. Okay. Okay. Great. 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 So um, I hope people will reach out to you if they want to, you know, talk about Ashcroft investing the fund. Sure. Yeah, you can you can go to ashcroftcapital.com forward slash Travis. I've got my calendar on there. I've got some downloads on there free information. You can check out what, what's going on. Also, I encourage people uh, to connect to connect. Sorry, on LinkedIn. I'm most active on that platform. So okay. Travis Watts, W-A-T-T-S. And uh, I share a lot of content, videos on there, podcasts, snippets, blogs, articles. So um, reach out on your preferred platform and happy to connect with you. Okay. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks, Appreciate Jonathan. It. Thanks, everybody. Thank Thanks for listening. For more information, you can find us online at www.graystonecapgroup.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. See you again next time.